I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I am your host, Mary Wilkerson. We're excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome and thanks for joining us. Great to be back, Mike. Mary, thank you for How- having me. Oh, it's wonderful. How How is your last month? How have things been going for you? Oh, a great month. Uh, was my birthday, and that was a wonderful way to give God thanks and praise for uh, the many blessings of my life. And uh, I like October very much. I, I, I love the beginning of the autumn, the, the leaves uh, turning color. It's brisk, but not too cold. Yeah, the uh, the peak colors are always at least here in October for sure. Right. It's beautiful. Yeah. How did did you do anything special to celebrate your birthday? My brother and sister in law took me out to a Mexican restaurant in Royal Oak, nice. so that was good. Very good. Nice. Awesome. We've been kind of watching some of your movements on social media because we uh, the archdiocese posted and I tracking tra- me. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. I guess that sounded a little stalkerish. And I noticed that you did theology on tap for young adults. How was that? Oh, it was a great joy. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, they wanted to hear a little bit about my own uh, vocation story, so I was able to talk about that and use it as a way to talk about how everybody has a vocation, a destiny. Uh, Cardinal Newman is very eloquent on this point. God made each of us to do him some particular work. And when we uh, discern it and respond to it, that's the, really the path to personal happiness. That's awesome. Where was the on tap? Do you remember? It was in Troy uh, at a public golf, uh, Ticonderoga, I think is the name of it. Very good. Were there any questions that the young adults asked that surprised you? That was so long ago, I don't (laughs) remember. (laughs) It it seemed like a good, lively conversation, though. It was very good, and uh, it was packed, you know, up to capacity, and I enjoyed it very, very much. What a blessing for our uh, young adults in the diocese to be able to hear from you. And what a blessing for me to see that there are so many young people who are serious about the faith. I mean, I see the statistics about uh, the decline in practice, particularly among uh, young Americans, but uh, it's not desperate, and uh, God is at work in many hearts. It's so good for the soul to be in environments where people are all together kind of for the same mission and excited about the faith, you know, because like you said, there's a lot of, it seems like there's a lot of bad news, but then you get together in those spaces, and it's great, so good. Also, having stalked you on social media, no, we knew that uh, there was a priest convocation, which I know happens every two years. Is that right? Every two years, yeah. yeah. How, how did that go? And was there a certain main message you had for your priests? Well, uh, it, it's really organized in that we get a, a bishop to come and be the, uh, the uh, spiritual director, and then another bishop to come and be the, uh, the chaplain. Uh, so the, the chaplain, the one who does the preaching uh, at the masses, was Archbishop Burns, and that, of course, is beautiful. It's great, great. to have him back. But uh, the principal speaker was Cardinal Tobin, the Archbishop of Newark, and his uh, uh, conferences were very, very powerful. I think, I mean, he makes no secret about it. He's very public about his journey being in recovery and what that means mm. uh, for his own spiritual life. And he spoke out of that experience about how whatever is the condition of any one of us priests, we all minister out of our brokenness. And Mm. in fact, that's what makes our ministry powerful, is because uh, we rely on Christ and uh, we bring 
the healing Christ to people who have touched us with his healing. Mm. So I, I think uh, the response was very, very positive. Uh, and I think the priests felt very renewed in their own vocation. That's great. I know a few priests that I spoke to, personally asking them how it went, they, they thought it was really great and powerful, just as you said. And they even mentioned specifically what you said about the brokenness. And, and they were almost uh, surprised at how, how in-depth he went with that, but also felt it to be... Um, I don't know, just really exemplary and, and just really positive. So that's when great. I'm weak, then I'm strong, says yeah. St. Paul, right? Amazing. I, same thing here. I talked to a couple of priest friends who were at the convocation, and I was surprised in talking to them. They were almost moved to tears about how edifying it was to have such an authentic message. Um, one of our priests preached about the convocation and some of the messages from it, and it really impacted me <laughs> taking those messages. So what a blessing. And needed, right, to gather with your brother priests. Oh, and, exactly, right. And because by... Doing it together, we mutually support one another. We're, we're not in this alone. So awesome. So we also ce- we celebrated your birthday in October, but also the feast day of one of my very favorites and uh, who my third child is named after, St. John Paul II. We had his feast day. And there was a quote that you used and that you shared on social media that no believer, this is from St. John Paul II, no believer in Christ, no institution of the church can avoid this supreme duty to proclaim Christ to all the peoples. And it reminded me of Unleash the Gospel, how you talk about no bystanders, no bystanders at all. So what I was wondering is, when you were writing Unleash the Gospel and kind of um, begging the Holy Spirit to give you inspiration, did you think of John Paul II's, St. John Paul II's writings? Was that part of what influenced you in in the work that you've done? Mary, uh, day in and day out, my inspiration to move uh, move us toward the new evangelization is really uh, the Holy Father, the late Holy Father's celebration of the millennium, the, the new millennium, where he calls for uh, the, the new uh, millennium to belong to Christ. I uh, just happened to see the biography of uh, uh, St. John Paul, uh, I think the name is uh, um, his name is Carol, or my name is Carol, mm-hmm. and it was a re- <clears throat> reminder to me again of his exemplary uh, life as a pastor. And so, back to your point, did, up and down, uh, I'm inspired by him. Yeah, it's on his feast day. My family, we celebrate it pretty big time. It's my third son's, like I said, we just named after him, so he oh. calls it his feast day. And uh, I reflected a lot about growing up in the St. John Paul II generation, just how much joy and hope I felt. I was able to go to a couple World Youth Days with him. And uh, even when I reflect back on that time, the spirit I felt so strongly. And I think we're going through kind of a little bit of suffering right now in our church. And it was nice to reflect on um, the Holy Father's movement prior to this, this shift of difficulty to kind of rely on for strength, you know? And one of the things that was really edifying for me to see this uh, biography again, which is only up until his election, is how that joy uh, was the fruit of the struggles he lived uh, in dealing with uh, the Nazis and the occupation of his beloved Poland, and then dealing with the communist regime. And so this is not a uh, a, a kind of a simple-minded joy. It's a joy that's de- mm. deeply rooted in having been tried 
and, and his faith purified by what he saw. And supernatural. And I think maybe that's the effect it had on the world. It, it was felt because he had such a powerful effect even on the secular world. <laughs> right. But like you said, it, uh, the deepness of that joy and the hope that he proclaimed. Oh, I love thinking about it. So October, we're past it. We're into November. And November is a month where we have this opportunity to really focus on thankfulness. Um, one of the things I like to do during the month of November is think every single day of one thing that I'm so thankful for and kind of focus on that. So what we wanted to do this month is talk a little bit about Thanksgiving, about the uh, necessity of living as people of gratitude. So we wanted to start off that conversation by asking you, what do you do on Thanksgiving? What is what is that that week like for you? Do you celebrate with family? What are your Thanksgiving traditions? I, I celebrate uh, with uh, one of my brothers and his family. Okay, great. And uh, that's for me a great joy. It It's a kind of a simple day. I don't like it to be too complicated. Right. But, uh, I enjoy it very much. And growing up, how many siblings did you have growing up? Um, or do you have? Uh, do I have? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, one of, I'm one of six. One of six. I'm so the oldest. Did you gather with extended family on yeah, Thanksgiving? Always with an extended family okay. until uh, we began to be so large that it was just my parents and then my brothers, my sister, their spouses and their kids. Yep. And then that got to be kind of big too, especially when my parents uh, grew older. Yes. So our family has shifted. Uh, my parents have 32 grandchildren and we can no longer comfortably fit in my parents' basement for gatherings. <laughs> like it's hard to get together. So we're going to have to make another shift soon. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, that's good to know how you celebrated Thanksgiving. Archbishop, did you do kind of a growing up a, a fairly traditional Thanksgiving, you know, like with turkey and cranberry and, you know, all the, the whole nine? Was there anything kind of specific or non-traditional that you, your family did or something interesting? Um, I suppose a specific thing would be a, a kind of a, a, a salad that was pretty typical in my, my mother's mother's family. Huh. Uh, my mother's mother, uh, those people were basically German. Oh. And so uh, it was a lot of... with a funny face. You did say that with a funny face. Well, I mean, actually, some of them were from Alsace-Lorraine. So I suppose in some sense, they might have been French at one point. Yeah. But, but it, it involved uh, wilting endive. And so oh. it was a roux. Uh, made with bacon fat and yeah. flour and then uh, vinegar and uh, a lot of hot bacon bits poured over endive. And that was a pretty typical thing. Now, it's, I don't think that's health food. <laughs> no, but it sounds delicious. I think you're speaking to Mike's heart. He's oh, a little man. bit of a chef, so uh, he can probably visualize uh, that. But in my family, my mother's family, you could never have too much bacon fat and yeah. you could never have too much sour cream. Ooh, I feel like I agree with those rules. Uh, one last question about your Thanksgiving traditions. Are you a watch the lions or a not watch the lions? Uh, I'm I'm glance at them from time to time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's probably less heartbreaking to do it that way to just kind of glance at them from time to time that day. You know, Archbishop, uh, being in November and we're we're kind of contemplating and considering thanks thankfulness and thanksgiving. Um wanted to think about a little bit on unleash the gospel. You specifically talk about thankfulness as one of the the good habits or an attitude of gratitude you called it in uh, unleash the gospel. Um I wanted to focus on like wh why did you add that in there as a good habit? specifically thinking about our time, our current climate, our culture, and, and how do you see it linked to a, a new evangelization in our archdiocese? Mike, uh, it is a way uh, to give God praise and thanks always and everywhere is a way to proclaim the kerygma 
because this is what Jesus accomplishes by dying and rising for us. He has created an order, a world, a cosmos, in which uh, ev- there's a, a, a possibility of giving God thanks and praise at every time and in every place. If there was even 99.99% of the world that was able to be thanked for, but there was that one little bit in which there was no grace to be attentive to, he wouldn't be the savior we need. Uh-huh. But he's created a new creation so that there isn't any time or place that's beyond grace. We can find grace in everything. Uh, my example when I try to explain this is St. Maximilian Kolbe. When you think about the terrible place he was, I mean, it's synonymous, that, that camp is synonymous with hell on earth. Uh-huh. And yet he was able, because of his faith in Christ, to give himself there and be able to give God praise and thanks. To give God praise and thanks anytime, any place, is a way to proclaim the power of the resurrection. I know. I know it's so easy, and I do it myself. Even I can feel you get caught up with thinking about what you what you don't have. You look around and you stop, and you don't consider what you what you do have, um, and you get overwhelmed by what you you know. I need this, or I don't have the latest version of that, or my car is you know it's got over a hundred thousand miles, so I should guess I should replace that. We just we tend to be uh, ungracious a lot of times, and I know even last week in my own personal prayer life, I was I was feeling a sense of a deep gratitude and a need to be even deeper in my gratitude. And so I was almost brainstorming and, and like thinking through my mind, just the, the crazy small things even that I'm thankful for, just like heating and air conditioning and refrigeration. <laughs> like those things sound small, but 200 years ago, we wouldn't have had those things per se. And um, and like you're, you're saying, God's movement and grace, I think you're right. When we have a thankful heart, uh, well, first off, God is always doing something, but then when we have a grateful heart, it helps us to see those movements and those things that God is doing. So, yeah, that's, that's excellent. That's great. One of the things the Scripture scholars point out to us is that uh, the heart of this attitude and expression is the Last Supper itself. So our Lord took the very symbols of what he was about to experience, this cup, uh, representing his outpoured blood. And while he held it in his hands, he gave the Father praise and thanks. So in, in figuratively, he's holding Good Friday in his hands in giving his Father thanks and praise for the possibility of loving him to the end. Mm. And so it, it is, it, it's one of the signal uh, expressions of the Christian life to this giving God thanks and praise. Can I ask you a further question on that? Because, and I reflected sure. on this, thank you, in my, my own personal <laughs> life. So uh, that prayer during Mass that says, it is right and just our duty and our salvation to give God thanks always and everywhere. And when you talk about uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe or even John Paul II, I have a hard time in my spiritual life when I'm in it giving thanks. So in retrospect, I can see the good that God can pull out of even tough times and difficulty. But it's really hard for me when I'm in different moments of suffering to be able to like make that assertion of faith that you are good and I am thankful for everything I'm moving in, not just the 99% of good, but the 1% of hard. 
Are there any spiritual practices or things that can help us on that? Because I don't think I'm alone in that struggle no. to feel thankful when things are hard, you know? A, a couple of things come to mind, Mary. Uh, one is to acknowledge the difficulty and not to pretend uh, that you're feeling something other than what you feel. Mm. To acknowledge that you aspire to be thankful, but I'm not, Lord, and that's how <laughs> yeah. things are. That's right how I now. feel sometimes. Yeah, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm less than committed to be thankful at all, the, all the time. And then I think uh, to get an ally. Um, the saints talk about sometimes they talk about uh, uniting one's heart with the prayer of Mary. Sometimes they talk about uniting your heart with the prayer of Jesus Himself. And so you, you can say to the Father, I'm not doing this really very well. In fact, I don't feel like doing it at all right now, yeah. but uh, I'm, I'm with Mary in giving you praise, and she'll, she'll uh, sort of stand in for me. That's a, that's a beautiful way to phrase that, to, to ask for the strength of our, our saints, of the Blessed Mother, of God the grace to right. want to be thankful when things are hard. Our Lady, I, I can't do this right now. You're going to have to do it for I me. I love oh. that. I love that. Yeah, Mary and I were just talking about that because we were saying that um, when you know something hard is coming up and you know that, it, you know, you see into the future and you know this, you're about to go into this endeavor, you can kind of uh, bolster yourself and, and, and create a mindset of, all right, I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to be appreciative. I'm going to embrace this difficulty. Um, and then, like she said, on the, on the other side, too, sometimes in retrospect, you look back at a difficult time and you can be thankful for the intricacies of what happened in that moment. But in the, the deep moment itself, um, in the pain, in yeah. the pain, in, in that moment, that's, I think, the probably the most difficult spot to actually um, suffer well <laughs> and to be thankful for that, uh, everything that the Lord is doing in that moment. Um, that's a great tip, though, like, you know, to really call upon the saints it's beautiful. Um, have you had an experience like that for yourself, Archbishop, a, a time where um, you actually acknowledged or really felt a gratefulness even amidst the the difficult moment, even in the sense of the moment? Yeah, I would say some of the challenges I faced, as uh, uh, particularly in, uh, in being a bishop, uh, situations that just were beyond my control and mm -hmm. things that uh, I wish could be other than they were, and I simply had to live through them. You know, talking about this and, and connecting it to Thanksgiving, I, I'm somebody that loves Thanksgiving. I can't wait to spend the day with my family, but it's a hard day for some people. For some people, it um, is a day when, you know, uh, they watch people gather with families and there might be brokenness within their families. I've noticed that Thanksgiving is either a day that people love or that they almost kind of dread. So would you give any advice or um, guidance for those that are maybe look at this day with a, a sense of dread because they're they know they're going to have to face some type of sadness or loneliness or difficulty. You're talking about advice to people of faith. Yes, I think right. uh, to, to be honest about it, to acknowledge the disappointment they feel, the hurt, and to open themselves up to the Lord, to be honest with him about it in a conversation, and to at, at least they can give thanks to God that he cares enough to hear what's going on in their heart. Mm -hmm. Very similar to the advice of when you're going through difficult right. times. Right, and the other thing is there are a number of parishes where priests have organized uh, events on Thanksgiving for folks who have the kind of challenge you've described, and so it gives them an opportunity 
to be of service to other people who might be alone on Thanksgiving. That is beautiful. I didn't even realize that was happening within the mm. Archdiocese. What a gift to be able to find community. If And that's, I think, what I mean, people that have a lack of community on this day that focuses so, uh, so much on what community is. So, mm. yeah, maybe to look for those areas in our Archdiocese to be able to get some uh some love on that day. Archbishop, I know that one of your favorite sayings is from um, Blessed uh, Solanus Casey, where he says, thank God ahead of time. I know I've heard you say it multiple times in uh, either in, in personal settings, but also in public settings. What do you think, um, what do you think Blessed Solanus meant by that? And, and what is his encouragement to us through that? Well, I mean, Father Solanus certainly knew that people were coming to him uh, hoping that through his intercession there'd be a miracle and some special grace. And I think what Father was uh, inviting people to do was to be abandoned to God's will, which is the ultimate goal of a Christian life, is to be configured to Christ wow. in the self-gift of, of trust to the Father. Uh, the new creation that we're made is as God's sons and daughters so that we can think like Jesus and feel like Jesus. And baptism starts us on that path, but we spend our whole life sort of training and getting better at it. Right. Yeah. And I think what Father Solanus was asking people to do was when they came to ask his intercession, he wanted them to give an unconditional yes to God that if the prayer produced the miracle, thanks be to God. Mm. If the prayer didn't produce the miracle, God deserves to be thanked as well because God never answers a prayer in a way that doesn't, he always answers prayer, and the answer is always something that leads to our salvation and his glory, and we can't want anything more than that. Mm. So I think that's what he was getting at. He mm. was inviting people not to make their commitment to him conditional, but unconditional. Mm. It's yeah. funny, I have a limited, obviously, like an, a limited perception in the movements of the archdiocese, but I've like, Mike, heard you say that so many times, and what's been a real blessing in my life is a lot of my friends and pastors and people operating in this diocese, they've kind of adapted that give thanks to God ahead of time, that uh, through your leadership, it's become almost a movement within the archdiocese, certainly have unleashed the gospel, that we are going to give thanks to God ahead of time. So what a cool thing, uh, especially because of who Father Solanus has been in the archdiocese, that now it's becoming almost common language right. for the faithful people in this diocese. It's awesome. Well, Father Solanus is one of us. I think that I mean, there are wonderful, marvelous saints. I, I mean, I think to, even today, the, I mean, of course, you've mentioned St. John Paul. Uh, people are so uh, filled with affection for uh, Padre Pio. Mm -hmm. But uh, Father Solanus is ours, mm -hmm. and that's part of the great blessing, is that uh, it, it makes it all the easier to be connected with him. Yeah. I love that, that he's ours. He is ours. He is ours. One more question about Thanksgiving. What are some things that you're personally thankful for? Like when you go to God and you spend time thanking him for the movements in your life, for the people in your life, what are things that you always go back to? Well, first of all, of course, I'm thankful that I know Jesus and that uh, I've been baptized and uh, that I, uh, I have the faith and I, I'm adopted as God's son. I thank God for my vocation as a priest. I thank God that he's given me the opportunity to have so many uh, years of study that have enriched my life. 
and uh, that he's given me ministries that uh, have been able to be very fulfilling in my life. Mm. I thank God for my family, my parents, my sister, my brothers. It's awesome. Well, it's that time again where we get to ask you questions that people have submitted to their shepherd. If you decide to email us at eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org, please include your first name, your home parish, and of course, your questions. So our first question comes from Leah from St. Anastasia's Parish in, in Troy, and she asks, how can we effectively and charitably hate the sin and love the sinner without turning people away from the church? I think uh, step back a little bit and understand what we mean by uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. Maybe the most important place to begin to think about that is to think about the damage that the sin does to the sinner. Uh, there's a way that uh, is just part of our culture that we think about the moral order as something we need to do to keep everything uh, well positioned. But the moral order is much more about achieving happiness and what's good. And so not even the pagan philosophers, but certainly the Christian fathers of the church point out that when someone commits a sin, he or she does the most harm to themselves, not to other people. And so uh, in hating the sin, you're really hating what it does to your neighbor who is the sinner. And so uh, it, how effectively to do that, uh, I mean, certainly to pray for that person, it, that it always is about being clear, but at the same time never dropping truth bombs, uh, saying you need, you need, you need. It's rather more in inviting someone uh, to a, a better life, a happier life. I don't know that that's very practical, but I, I think at the root of, of whatever will work out to be a good practice has to be the sense that I lament what this sin is doing to you. Uh, that's what re it, and that's the, the charity I bring to this situation. And I'll do, and that might give, a, with that attitude, a person might then be able to see uh, what the person can do to help the, help the sinner uh, uh, come uh, uh, put aside the sin. And always to remember that it's not about that person over there, uh, but I'm a sinner. I'm a fellow sinner. Yeah, That's looking good. at it that way, too, I think you can stay away from that temptation towards righteousness and instead can focus on compassion. This is hurting somebody that I love. That's a different way to view it. Mm. Well, and, and it's guided by love, not... Sometimes I think we were moved to... Uh, we just want to alter other people's behavior because we don't like what they're doing. Right. But this is actually motivated and animated by love rather than I'm trying to alter you as a person. You right. know what I mean? It, it's, um, right. it's got a different directive. So yeah. it's this, We have to be careful we don't bring to uh, our moral struggles the same attitude we do to trying to keep our sock drawers in order. Mm, exactly. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> it's analogy. True, yeah. 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 Wonderful. Uh, Rocky from Guardian Angels in Clawson asks, what spiritual tradition within the church most resonates with you? 
Ignatian, Franciscan, etc., uh, and why? The kind of the spiritual master who uh, I go back to again and again is St. Philip Neri, mm. uh, who didn't write, I don't know that St. Philip wrote anything at all, come to think of it. I mean, there are records of things he said that the fathers who lived with him uh, wrote down. But what I like so much about St. Philip is that he he was considered the apostle of Rome. He He brought the city of Rome to conversion as part of the Counter-Reformation, and he did it simply by his example and his gentle uh, uh, words, uh, and uh, it, that's what resonates with me, hmm. that uh, God can use all sorts of ways to uh, evangelize and bring the world closer to himself. Hmm. What is the last good book you read, <laughs> movie you watched, um, spiritual or non-spiritual? So the last kind of media that you kind of entered into and liked. I uh, have just taken up again uh, the very, very long biography of St. John Henry Newman. I, I got through half of it and put it aside, and now with the canonization, I've gone back to it. And uh, I know a lot about Cardinal Newman. He's been a very important influence in my life, but... Uh, Father Ian Carr, who wrote the biography, is probably the expert on Newman alive today, uh, has a lot of insights in the biography that I hadn't uh, uh, been aware of before. Is it really heavy reading, too? Is it deeply theological? No. Really? It's lots of his letters. This is what uh, oh. Carr depends upon. And so, I mean, it, it does offer theological analysis. Sure but it's got lots of detail. Mm. That's great. That's awesome. As most in-depth biographers do. I know. I was like, I mean, this isn't like you didn't answer, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, that's a little heavy in 800-page book. <laughs> <laughs> to the faithful, I'm not sure if they're going to read the same, but that's that's excellent. Um, Archbishop Caitlin from St. Joseph's Oratory asks, what do you see as the church's role in addressing and serving the mentally ill? I think we would begin well in thinking about that question by asking the church, because the church can mean lots of things. It can mean, for some people, it means the hierarchy. For some people, it means uh, the church's organizations like uh, Catholic Charities. And uh, especially since Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution on the church of the Second Vatican Council, the church also means the people of God. Mm. And so I think at every level, uh, there is something we can do to help those who have emotional illness. Uh, for some people, uh, their way to be the church, the, the, the arm of the church in caring for uh, those who have this affliction, is to be a good neighbor and to, and to reach out. Uh, for us as pastors, it can be to signal the need for everybody to uh, give help and to be attentive, uh, kind of a step away, a, a, a more uh, systemic uh, approach is to offer uh, a life of hope and, and uh, uh, personal moral health that creates balance because so often what throws people into difficulty is uh, uh, the stresses of life. Mm. So I think it, it's lots of levels. Mm. Catholic charities, uh, uh, 
uh, our uh, health care system, uh, individuals, parishes can be attentive to this. And a uh, lot of ways. Mm. Uh, but always uh, maybe to get the touchstone is Christ the healer. Mm. And to each of us to ask, what's my role of uh, being the hands of Christ and the heart of Christ to bring healing to a particular situation? Well, Mark at Saints Peter and Paul on the west side of Detroit has a really great question. He asks, what is one thing you hope to accomplish before retirement? Well, I need to uh, continue to lead us all in uh, our uh, sent on mission uh, and uh, bring us all to the completion of our strategic missionary plans. That's really what I have made my commitment to. Of all the projects uh, that are involved in uh, sent on mission in our effort right now, the one that I particularly hold dear is the establishment of the, in, of the Institute for uh, Lay Evangelization. I'd like to be sure to see that come to its uh, establishment. Hmm. Not that I don't care about the other oh, things. Oh, of course, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's particularly dear to my heart. And then uh, is... Will you retire in this diocese? Is this, assuming nothing significant changes, will you stay here until retirement as our archbishop? Oh, I'm, I'm sh- pretty sure of that. You are? Okay, okay. I mean, it's in God's hands, of, sure, course, of course. But I'm I'm already 71. Okay. People don't get you. The Pope doesn't usually move a bishop at that point in his okay. life. Okay. Well, you know that we are uh, always praying for you and for your leadership in our diocese. Is there anything this month through the month of November that we can really focus our prayers on for you? Well, I think, uh, well, you, you said for me, uh, yeah, I suppose uh, pray that I and all the bishops who gather in a, a week or so in Baltimore that we do a good job at, with the agenda that's before us. Uh, but I, I, you know, November is the month for holy souls, and I think it's really important for us to pray for the dead. Uh, we as Christians bring a perspective to our beloved dead that is so very different from the mind of the world, and uh, we pray for them. We can continue to accompany them in the last stage of their purification. Nobody can be in the presence of God who doesn't love God with the same love that Jesus brings to the Father. And that's a big uh, uh, goal. I mean, that's a high bar, Uh, which we can do. The Holy Spirit can do that in us, but we need to be purified, many of us, as we leave this world to be able to get to that point. And we can accompany one another. I think that's uh, really important for us as as Christians. I think it's part of the new evangelization. Mm. That keeps coming up in my personal prayer and just in homilies. And obviously, we just moved past all souls. But even in my my talk with friendship, how it almost with my friends, it almost seems around my age we've lost a sense of praying for the dead. And to reclaim that is important. And it's really convicted me in my own house to make sure that my children are doing that every day. You know, to pray for the dead because they rely on our prayers and we rely on theirs. Right. So wonderful, Archbishop. Would you mind closing us with a with a prayer and a blessing? Lord God, we give you thanks ahead of time for all the good that will come from this day and uh, all that you have invited us to do for the glory of your name. And we are confident that 
This, uh, these prayers of thanksgiving will be pleasing to you because they're united to the thanksgiving our high priest offers, even now at your right hand. Lord God, bless all those with whom we work, all those who listen to this podcast. Lord God, bless us and those we love. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Archbishop, for your time, for doing this, and of course, for your blessing. Oh, you're welcome. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like the Open Door Policy Podcast with Father Steve Pullis and Danielle Center, a podcast for joyful missionary disciples and our movement to unleash the gospel. Find it on your favorite podcast app.